0: all right welcome back listeners to another episode with yours truly dq on another educational literary review of some pop culture goodness slapped on a slab of pedagogy and educational woo maybe something you can actually use in an essay presented in a fun way i'm not sure scholarly research could sound fun but that's the hope of this podcast and uh, today we're going to be taking a look at some racial stereotypes in pop culture films Um, and this is being taken in the form of Tyler Perry's um, film 2018 film called Acrimony.
1: It's just David talking about what David thinks.
0: Um, So Acrimony is, is a film by a black director Um, however it does perpetuate some racial stereotypes um, that uh, the black population has tried to overcome uh, through centuries and having this stereotype play out in a black dominate dominant medium um, is kind of confusing and a bit of a head scratcher Uh, so today's episode will just dig a little deeper into that film as uh, as a whole um i think i watched it about uh, a week ago uh, with my girlfriend and i can't lie it was very entertaining and i think as a, uh, as a total package it's an interesting movie to watch because it's also entertaining however i guess complicated if you consider some of the social dynamics um around the film around the characters and around the history and the history of america and the history of um, blacks uh, across the world so thinking about acrimony as a film uh, is really interesting but to bring it even further we're going to take a, a dip into different terrain and what i mean is different perspectives so instead of just focusing mainly on Um, a black medium being acrimony, um, this modern film. Uh, We're also going to take a look at some modern television shows um, that really represent uh, the breakdown of suburban, um, you know, common um, American dream type of ideas, and those are also uh, troubled and complicated by the whole idea of the American dream and the expectations Of gender roles and even the complications of marriage uh, in the modern world. So uh, today's episode will be going through uh, some of the basic grounds of what makes a stereotype passable in a modern film and how can these stereotypes reveal some other uncomfortable parts of our society, um, particularly in our hopes and nightmares that lie within the marriage institution and the heartbreak that can come from such uh, breakdowns in a relationship. Um, So not only are we going to take a look at um, a modern TV uh, series um, and this one in particular is called uh, Dirty John the Betty Broderick story. Yeah um, I think I got that correct. Now uh, this next Uh, modern medium uh, of this television series uh, just takes a look at the um, relationship destruction uh, between uh, these two high school college lovebirds Uh, I think that's what you consider them Um, well these two characters they fall in love and then they get married and uh, due to infidelity uh, things take a very very tragic turn um, and this is the modern television show now the cast is not african-american they're not black they're mainly white characters portraying um, suburban dreams um, of nice houses lots of clothes and lots of lots of crap um, so that's going to be the, the, the comparison on a modern level um, and then another layer that I like to try to uh, tap into is The Great Gatsby, which is a very common high school um, literary literary book uh, that uh, a lot of uh, North Americans, I think North American students would read. Uh, I know that that is a novel that I teach in in high school, so uh, I can expect that other students and hopefully other listeners would um, know that story. And uh, like those previous um, modern looks at uh, a black Stereotypes of the angry black woman, um, or the ser- the stereotype of this the angry embittered woman. Um, Great Gatsby uh, kind of just takes a look at the relationship and uh, the force of marriage and the strain of having to, um, I guess, live with a man or be, you know, beholden to a man, um, and I think. These films, um, the film Acrimony, um, the TV show, uh, The Betty Bodrick Story, and as well as The Great Gatsby, um, have female characters that seem to compromise um, tremendously in order to try to succeed in their marriage. And in doing so, there is the source of their bitterness. Um, and i think that's where we're going to try to start off with this uh, podcast episode is just understanding the source of this bitterness and the acrimony that is felt by the star um, the main character in acrimony um, tyler perry's 2018 acrimony so the main on-screen cast for acrimony um, stars taraji p henson as melinda Lyric Bent as Robert, her um, husband slash ex-husband. Crystal Stewart plays Diana Roberts' um, future new wife. And then Jasmine Simone plays June, Melinda's sister number one. And Tosha Story plays Brenda's sister number two. And uh, again, Acrimony is a 2018 Tyler Perry film in which he returns to direct Taraji P. Henson in the role of an embittered black woman, uh, a plot trope recognizable for Perry's fans. So what's the plot for, for this film? What's the plot for Acrimony? Well, it focuses on The relationship between melinda and robert starting from their early courtship in university and then their eventual divorce so what is the source of all of her acrimony which basically means bitterness or rage well it's really just rooted in her compromise and the amount of trauma that she goes through in sacrificing her dreams and her expectations um, for their relationship and their idea of success or whatever success she expected during um, the courtship. Now, the trauma is, hmm, how do I say, the trauma is also, um, I guess, quadrupled, squared. It is also exponentially grown because Robert had cheated on her and Robert had always seemed like a very honest and respectable uh, young man and she learns that he had used her money in order to I guess impress another girl and uh, try to sleep with her and so Robert is a bit of a dumbass in that regard and she does take him back and she does compromise By also using money that she had received from her um, family because uh, someone passed in the family and she received some money from that so with that money she had invested not only her money but also her I guess her pride in supporting Robert's dream of creating some type of revolutionary um, battery cell or some type of energy um, resource so years go by, 20 years go by, decades go by, and nothing is coming out of Robert's work into researching and developing this battery or energy cell. So Traji P. Hansen, Mel- Melinda, well, she has worked three jobs in order to support not only herself but also her husband and also their house and she's stressed she is angry and you know understandably so Um, but eventually she cannot stand her sacrifice any longer and I'm making it sound like it's her fault I don't blame her at all I mean this guy wasn't doing jack shit for you know three quarters of this film Um, not only as a character but also as a husband, as a lover. Um, And I think the audience can really connect with Taraji P. Henson's character at this point. And the stereotype of the angry black woman seems to not only um, serve justice, but it does reflect, I think, the emotions um, that anyone would feel knowing that they have sacrificed um, some of their finances and also their own, you know, energy, into someone that isn't reciprocating it. So in that regard, um, what we would be considered an injustice in representation seems to have some sort of basis in the character's um, situation. However, we're gonna see that this stereotype is still harmful in the end um, because of the. I think the tragic turn that it takes, and also the, um, the amount of leverage that is given towards um, the man, as in there is some sort of justice um, at the end of this, and there is a possible happy ending for both. But I believe that in this film, the expectations um, seem to outweigh the idea of equality. Or in this case, as close to equity as possible um, when it comes to what happens after the divorce. Um, but anyways, what is this um, stereotype of the angry black woman? And where can we chart this, um, this idea through modern history? So let's take a look at some research papers um, that do go into um, this sort of racist um, artifact Coming out of the Jim Crow and the racialized um, enslavement of Africans, Doctor David Pilgrim, Professor of Sociology from Ferris State University, wrote an article published August 2008 and edited in 2012, which charted and analyzed the Sapphire caricature, which is an anti-black imagery which focuses on a negative attitude or the constant beratement and nagging of um, of female black characters in pop culture. The angry black woman, popularized in the cinema and on television, she is tart-tongued and emasculating, one hand on a hip and the other pointing and jabbing, violently and rhythmically rocking her head mocking African-American men for offenses ranging from being unemployed to sexually pursuing white women. The Sapphire caricature is a harsh portrayal of African-American women, but it is more than that. It is a social control mechanism that is employed to punish black women who violate the societal norms that encourage them to be passive, servile, non-threatening, and unseen. From the 1800s through the mid 1900s, black women were often portrayed in popular culture as sassy mammies who ran their own homes with iron fists, including berating black husbands and children. These women were allowed, at least symbolically, to defy some social norms. So during this Jim Crow period. Uh, When real blacks were often beaten or killed for arguing with whites, fictional mammies were allowed to pretend chastise whites, including men. A well-known example of a sassy mammy was Hattie McDaniel, a black actress who played feisty, quick-tempered mammies in many movies, including Judge Priest, Uh, Music is Magic, Little colonel alice adams and gone with the wind in these roles she was sassy but always loyal she was not a threat to the existing social order now it was not until the amos and andy radio show that the characterization of african-american women as domineering aggressive and emasculating shrews became particularly popular on and associated with the name sapphire The show was conceived by Freeman Gostin and Charles Corral, two white actors who portrayed the characters Amos Jones and Andy Brown by mimicking and mocking black behavior and dialect. Both as a radio show and television show, Amos and Andy was extremely popular and this was really freaking unfortunate for African Americans because it popularized racial caricatures of blacks. Americans learned that blacks were comical, not as actors, but as a race. Well, Amos and Andy, what was this show about? This show, Amos and Andy, told stories about the everyday foibles of the members of the mystic Knights of the Sea, a black fraternal lodge. The lead characters were Amos Jones, a Harlem taxi driver, and his gullible friend Andy Brown. Now, starring in a non-title lead role was the character George Kingfish Stevens. This guy was the leader of the Lodge. Many of the stories, in fact, revolved around Kingfish, a get-rich-quick schemer and a con artist who avoided work and, when possible, took financial advantage of the ignorance and naivete of Andy and others. Kingfish was the prototypical coon, a lazy easily confused, chronically unemployed, and uh, financially inept buffoon. Now Kingfish was married to Sapphire Stevens, who regularly berated him as a failure. So there we go, that's the connection to the word uh, Sapphire. So Kingfish represented the worst in racial stereotyping. There was little redemptive about the character. His ignorance was highlighted by his nonsensical sensical misuse of words. Uh, for example, I deny the allegation, your honor, and I resents the alligator, or I's regusted. Now Kingfish was not a good thinker or a speaker. Even worse, he was a crook without scruples. He was too lazy to work and not above exploiting his wife and friends. So in other words, he was television's embodiment of some of the most unforgiving ideas that many Americans had about black men. Other characters, including Lightning Estepin Fetchin, um, another character had actual jobs. So it must be noted then that Sapphire Stevens, this female character, all of her disgust at her husband was actually very reasonable. And... Her anger and disgust was not the generalized anger that is today associated with angry black women. And I do believe that in the film Acrimony by Tyler Perry, this is the exact type of, um, I guess, representation of the angry black women that we are seeing in the film. Um, Her anger is quite justified. She has sacrificed financially and she feels like she's being exploited, Um, a very... Rational feeling, um, knowing that she's gone, on, she's gone through decades of waiting for a breakthrough, um, whether it just be financial aid um, or a, a more loving husband, and she never, ever gets that. So other representations of the Sapphire character appear on the situational comedy *Sanford and Son*, which premiered on NBC, NBC in 1972. ...with a final episode in 1977. Um, And Esther was the Sapphire on that show. And Esther dominated her husband, Woodrow, a uh, mild-mannered alcoholic. And in this latter relationship, you have the idea of the aggressive black woman... ...dominating a weak, morally defective black man. Now, other representations of the Sapphire character... Uh, appear in Esther uh, Rowley, who played the role of Florida Evans in the show Good Times, which aired between 1974 and 1979 on the CBS television network. So Esther Rowley actually went on and expressed her own dislike for J.J.'s character in 19 in a 1975 interview with Ebony magazine. Um, J.J is the son in the family and he plays the stereotypical buffoonish behavior and uh, Esther Rowley goes on to say in this 1975 interview that uh, he's 18 and he doesn't work he can't read or write he doesn't think the show didn't start out to be that little by little with the help of the artists I suppose because they couldn't do that to me they have made JJ more stupid and enlarged the role negative images have been slipped in on us through the character of the oldest child. So, again, um, in this black-themed situational comedies where there is a coon character, there is often a Sapphire character to mock him. And in the show Good Times, a character that bantered with and mocked JJ was his sister, Thelma. Now, one another example of a Sapphire was the character of Pamela, Pam James, who appeared on Martin, a situational comedy that aired from 1992 to 1997 on Fox. Pam was a badmouth, wisecracking friend or foe of the lead character Martin. Now, Tichina Arnold, the actress who played Pam in Martin, also plays Rochelle, a dominating, aggressive matriarch in the situational comedy Everybody hates Crit, Everybody Hates Chris. And uh, that show ran from 2005 to 2009 and is still aired on cable television. Um, so, again, Arnold has mastered this role of the angry black woman. Um, and there are other forms of this uh, stereotype in also uh, film genres. And in this example, we can also look at angry black women with guns um, in black exploitation films which emerged in the early 1970s. Now, black exploitation films. These movies were intended to target black audiences, uh, and there's kind of this uh, bitter-sweet uh, perspective I think on black exploitation films and any depiction of um, African-American or you know black representation in media, because these are shining moments for. Uh, the black community to have their representation on screen uh, so I think whether or not some of these depictions are stereotypical um, I, I think there has to be some um, appreciation uh, that these films are still being made um, and I know there's some modern exploitation uh, films that are uh, more satirical on the topic um, but they also uh, point to the fact that these were uh, stepping stones for a lot of black representation. Uh, so let's take a look at some examples of sapphires in black exploitation films, um, and really focus on some careers that really grew and expanded um, due to these early openings uh, for again black representation in media. So in black exploitation films, uh, they were again targeted to black audiences, they represented another set of racial caricatures, uh, stereotypical representations of groups, um, and these uh, changed. They went from, you know, Mammy, Tom's, Uncle's, Pickaninnies, kind of country representations, uh, kind of a dumbed down set of, of caricatures to one that was more aggressive, uh, more violent, um, such as bucks, which were sex-crazed deviants, brutes, such as pimps, hitmen, and dope peddlers, and gnats, are, and those are white haters. Um, so they switched and revamped this character caricature of uh, the Sapphire or the Jezebel. So the portrayal of the African-American woman is super hypersexual, uh, a temptress, um, and, you know, this is an, another old stereotype that comes from American slavery. Uh, but during this black exploitation era, there was a hybrid of this uh, Jezebel and the sapphire, and they transformed together to create angry whores um, that were fighting injustice. So, um, one prominent black actress that built a career. Starring in black exploitation films is Pam Greer. Her characters uh, and their characters that she represented um, represent resembled those of the black male superhero. Uh, they were physically attractive and aggressive rebels that used their brains and their brawn and their guns to gain revenge against corrupt officials, drug dealers, and cri- other violent criminals. So their anger was not focused at black men instead it was focused to I think a more uh, sympathetic agenda um, at injustice and the pep- uh, people that perpetuated um, injustice. So in the film Coffee uh, Pam Greer plays the titular character um, a nurse by day and a vigilante by night and this, this You know, this character is basically a one-woman organized crime fighting machine. Uh, So she pretends to be a strung-out whore to get revenge on drug dealers who, you know, get her sister hooked on heroin. Uh, So obviously, I think the overall message is... Uh, applaudable. I know. I think you know this is great. You know we have a black, strong female character kicking ass. You know taking names, making sure shit is good on the streets. Uh, so coffee, the character lures the culprits back to their room where she graphically shoots one in the head and gives the other a fatal dose of heroin. Um, and the remainder of the movie, Coffee, uh, released in 1973. Uh, we find that coffee uses guns and her body to punish. Uh, the flamboyant pimp King George, as well as the crazy mobster Arturo Vitroni, um, and any other mafioso or crooked cop that you know messes with her on the streets. So, my favorite film by Pam Greer has got to be what is it called? A yeah, true, not true romance. Um, Jackie Brown, yeah, so the film Jackie Brown, um, by Quentin Tarantino uh, the exact year I don't know but that film to me is definitely top five uh, I doesn't mean really, I don't really have a number I suppose it's just that I like to say that it's definitely a movie I like to enjoy more than once and for different reasons one of them is definitely Pam Greer's character who plays you know an, a middle-aged woman um, who Get stuck in the middle of a conflict uh, that will either make her a profit or cost her her life. The cast for this film is 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 really strong. Um, there are so many class A actors, class A actors, whatever that means. But these are the great actors. We have first off Pam Greer, We got Samuel Jackson, um, who you know the regular in Tarantino films. We got Robert Forster, R.I.P. I watched his latest film, um, The Snow. Um, Let's know of something hollow And I'll do a review of that one soon Um, But Robert Forrester is in there as well Bridget Fonda is in there as well What the hell We got Michael Keaton What the hell Robert De Niro What the hell Michael Bowen What the hell Chris Tucker What the hell Yeah the list is super strong for the film Jackie Brown This movie was released in 1997 um, And I think it is a gem of a film Um, A strong soundtrack to go along with the film uh, the sound one of the songs that I really remember from that uh, from that movie uh, comes from a duop wop group um, and I forget what the name of the group is but I'm going to find out soon uh, with the help of the internet um, and that song plays at different points of the film and whenever you hear that song you're mind automatically just connects to the scene and and i think the emotions that come out of of that is is really fantastic so the film has the song didn't i blow your mind this time uh sung by the delphonics and i'm just gonna play for you this song a little bit uh, just so you get a taste of the feel uh, of the soundtrack for this film and i think it just is a very lovely soul song. First off, uh, soul songs aren't popular as much um, today, but I do think that it gives you a very nostalgic emotion, feeling, I think, a more uh, loving, free and vibrant uh, lifestyle um, and vibe. So let's play that for a little bit before we transition on to the realities of how the sapphire um, affects you know, the ideas of race.
1: I give my heart soul to you.
0: And now the portrayal of the angry black woman is also redundant in television, in what would you call reality television, in shows like the Jerry Springer show, the Jenny Jones show, the Maury Povich show, and the Ricky Lake show. These shows during the 90s all helped to reinforce the racial stereotypes of African Americans. Um, You know including the stereotype of black women as, as angry. Uh, by the early 2000s, the trash talk shows have receded in popularity uh, in part because of the reality shows that started popping up. Uh, shows like Survivor, shows like MTV's Real World or Road Rules Challenge, the Infernal, whatever season of uh, Real World that one is. Um, and also shows like The Apprentice and other reality shows, <laughs> including... Uh, flavor of Love. Um, I think we can just pick up plenty uh, of examples from reality TV. But uh, for the sake of this podcast, we'll just focus on uh, The Apprentice. So the character of Omarosa Manigault Stallworth of The Apprentice. Well, she, well, she's almost only referenced by her first name. Uh, she was portrayed as a cross between a Jezebel and a Sapphire. Uh, both hypersexual and flirtatious, as well as bitter and aggressive. Um, Now, Lorian Olive, a political blogger, theorized on how white people saw Omarosa. Um, At least among white people, she was interpreted in various ways as conniving, lazy, selfish, a sham, overly ambitious, uppity, ungrateful, and paranoid. I guess this... uh, The Olive was always interested in whether Omarosa was less interested in whether she was actually any of those things, or whether it was simply an effect of the distortion of the editing of reality television. She, uh, Lauren goes on to say, or Lorian goes on to say, I was more interested in the fact that Omarosa seemed to stand for something bigger in the eyes of many white people. Her constant accusations of racism, directed toward her fellow contestants, and the fact that she wore her alienation and distrust of her teammates on her sleeve. This opened up a whole world of racial speculation and ridicule. Uh, I would say debate, but in all of my internet travels I haven't found such of anyone who started to go out on a limb for Omarosa. The fact that so many white people felt justified in their hatred for Omarosa, a hatred that could be passed on. Uh, as a benign overinvestment in a guilty pleasure, a reality TV series is telling. She became the symbol of everything that went wrong in the post-Civil Rights era: paranoid reverse racism, the ungrateful and deser- undeserving product of affirmative action, the uppity black person who puts on airs, the beautiful, hypersexualized black woman who pulled the wool over the powerful white man's eyes. End quote. Olive next makes a connection that many others are making on internet sites, namely that First Lady Michelle Obama is the new Omarosa, uh, a bitter, selfish, uppity, ungrateful, overly ambitious sapphire. And so one of the derisive nicknames for Michelle Obama is Omarosa Obama. This, you know, sad and unfunny nickname demonstrates how the sapphire caricature has broadened from an masculating hater of black men to a bitter woman who hates anyone who displeases her. But how does this Sapphire caricature play out in Tyler Perry's 2018 acrimony, a film that has a mainly black cast, a film that does have an angry black woman, I mean Taraji P. Henson has almost made a career out of being, uh, or playing these roles, but is there justification in her feelings toward her husband uh, there are there justified feelings toward the situation and the amount of pain that she's feeling and her emotions i think there are definitely grounds for those feelings in this film and i don't think the angry black woman character is thrown and used in this film in a irresponsible way however the second half of this film does change the character uh, like the I guess, the transition of the actual stereotype itself. So, in the beginning of this film, um, there are many reasons given for why, um, you know, Melinda Taraji P. Henson's character feels immense anger towards Robert, uh, played by uh, Tyreek Bent. I got his name wrong. Um, However, these reasons are sort of you know, answered. Uh, at least her pain is solved. Whether it be her financial pain, that's solved, uh, or any financial transgressions that you know Robert's wasteman actions produced. Those were all solved in the second half of the film. Uh, now, what happens after to the character? It uh, sort of reflects another television show in which an angry white woman seems to lose total control over reality as a result of this over-sacrifice and I think not over-sacrifice I think that is a, a loose term um, what I mean is that the trauma of separation seems to not heal their sense of comfort in the reality whatever frick that means Um, but what happens in the end is that I think as the audience we keep our touch of reality and we are able to kind of feel utter sadness that Melinda Taraji P. Henson's character is unable to accept her reality and this anger Kind of washes over her mental state, um, and the film, I think it does have such a very sad ending that I would all, I would go as far as to compare it to a Shakespearean tragedy, um, where there almost seems to be no perfect uh, happy ending because I guess the truth is you know heartbreak and and love is so complex that it's pain, the reverse of it, the hatred of uh, the results of lost love, um, it can really destroy people entirely. And so love is both powerful but uh, on the other side when it's misused um, it can really result in a lot of sadness. And another uh, TV show, a modern TV show, that takes a look at, you know, the dangers of love in a relationship is um, Dirty John. The Betty Broderick story, and this is part of the television series uh, Dirty John that takes a look at uh, some of the pitfalls of relationships, um, usually in the guise of you know men taking advantage of women um, or just the utter heartbreak of separation and affairs. So, the latest Dirty John season features the story of Betty Broderick and the 1989 double murder she committed against her ex-husband and his new wife, which was a saga that dominated national uh, headlines. The themes in that story are marital infidelities and a fractured suburban ideal. Who is Freddie Broderick? Um, She was born Elizabeth Ann Bishaghi, not sure if i said that right and she was born on november seventh, 1947 she grew up in the new york suburb of bronxville with roman catholic parents frank and merida and five other siblings um as the daughter of the successful new york city building contractor she was used to you know comfortable lifestyle Uh, she received a private school education and enjoyed a stocked wardrobe Uh, now she met her husband so betty Attended a school in New York and got a degree in English. And it was around uh, 1965 that Betty began a a relationship with Daniel T. Broderick, and um, they would eventually marry in 1969. The couple they set down roots in La Jolla, La Jolla, and then they became they became pretty socially popular within their social circle. Uh, Dan developed a successful career as a medical malpractice attorney getting degrees from both Harvard Law and Cornell School of Medicine and the television show does well in depicting how much work it took for him. It takes him to you know eventually he'll you know, get those degrees and start his practice and it also portrays how much work Betty put in into tending to their home and their four children, um, the daughters Kim and Lee and sons Brett and Daniel. So Betty had to take care of the children and the home while maintaining a social you know a social life while uh, Dan was you know perfecting his career. But the good life turned sour when Betty suspected that Dan was having an affair with his young assistant, Linda Colkenna. Uh, Betty and Dan, they ultimately got divorced in 1985 after 16 years of marriage. Uh, A very bitter battle ensued for the next five years, and it ended in 1989. And this was, the the portrayal of this divorce was just heartbreaking. Uh, She was so angry at him over um, his affair, and I guess his lack of Acknowledgement of how much work she put in into their marriage Um, and you know Dan Broderick eventually he married Linda a year after uh, that divorce so what was Betty's crime so during the divorce Betty would harass uh, her ex-husband as well as his uh, girlfriend by calling their house and leaving really aggressive and threatening messages And eventually she ended up murdering uh, her ex-husband and his then wife. So the idea of the angry woman is not something solely secluded and isolated to black women. No, the angry woman is connected not only by race, but notably connected by marriage and not only in the film Acrimony and the TV series um, Dirty John do we see how a marriage can divulge into tragedy. This theme is also portrayed in a classic American literature i.e. The Great Gatsby wherein the characters of Daisy Buchanan, Tom Buchanan, Gatsby all have this crazy love triangle that seems to derail the common, uh, I guess, stereotype of the happy American dream or the happy suburban life. In the case of Betty Broderick, we have this deconstruction of the uh, ideal suburban life where there are multiple children, uh, there's a man and there's a, a husband and a wife, and they are financially successful. In The Great Gatsby, we have Tom and Daisy, who are um, old, money rich, and have little responsibilities uh, in their own life. They don't have to uh, buy their own clothes. Well, maybe they do, but they don't have to make their own food. They don't have to open their own doors. They don't have to clean their own house or cut their own lawn instead they have people to serve them and to you know service them at any time of the day now on the other hand we have uh, jay gatsby who has to you know sell liquor illegally in order to make money and become wealthy however because of the class status he is never in a position to uh, gain the love of Daisy and in fact we have to really just focus on Daisy because Daisy is solely attached to Tom Buchanan even though he's a racist uh, well dumbass to be honest he's just an uh, ignoramus um, if that's the perfect word to use for that character but you know, Tom's a bit of a, a dickhead but Daisy puts up with it because she understands that she wouldn't be able to afford her lifestyle without her male counterpart and i think in the end these films and these media all seem to focus on how the relationship between men and women is at a conflict when uh, i suppose when both parties the man and the woman, they cannot compromise and seek their own happiness and freedom. And I think this freedom to explore your self-purpose and your self-passions is what's missing in both of these mediums. Now, if you're listening to this podcast and you are a scholarly uh, individual, maybe you're in school, maybe you're studying, maybe you're just interested in stuff like this, like I am, uh, please leave a chat message and you know debate. Uh, let's discuss whether or not these... Themes are true not only within these examples of media, but in other forms of media, movies, books, comics, music. Uh, because I do think that these media do help us understand the strifes of personal dreams in the face of these, you know, colossal institutions. And I'm thinking mainly of marriage and uh, the importance of connecting um, a personal belief with a kind of collective goal within the marriage institution and i think that without these types of compromises discussions and cooperative building uh, most marriages are going to fracture and you know unravel and I think in the case of Acrimony and Dirty John, the Betty Bodrick story, we have the, you know the maximum tragedy that can occur um, as a result of, of of love, unfortunately. And as so far I was and as so far as I was connecting to the Great Gatsby, there are other marriages in that book that also highlight this imbalance in the marriage institution and what I'm or the characters that I'm referring to are Myrtle Wilson and George Wilson. Myrtle Wilson and George are both dead ass poor but Myrtle wishes that her husband was a better man. Whether that means financial success or just being a gentleman both of those are lacking and Myrtle Wilson therefore jumps on Tom Buchanan's because her own husband has a very small penis and a very empty wallet. So she jumps onto that dude and uh, obviously in the end of the novel, there's a lot of tragedy and I'm not going to ruin it for everybody, but essentially this appeal to the American idea or the American dream of stable marriage, stable financial success comes undone in I guess not only in acrimony, uh, but also in the Betty Broderick story and The Great Gatsby. And these themes, uh, for better or for worse, are clear examples that the marriage is a very delicate institution. And any sort of dream that has to become attached to that has also have, has also got to be taken care of with a bit of a, a delicate forefinger uh I guess forefinger and and thumb combination. Forefinger and thumb combination. So without getting into the plot and basically ruining the whole story of acrimony, what are some final words that I got about that movie? Well, it's definitely uh, a complicated film to watch if you're black because not only does this movie have, you know, pretty much a pretty much a full cast of you know, black actors, very recognizable actors, and not only is the film directed by a notable black director, it does also shake end some of those stereotypes about angry black women. However, I think that in this film it is completely justified why the uh, why Taraji P. Henson's character Melinda is outraged at her husband's inability to I guess to act like a man or to take on some more responsibility when he can um, on the other hand I do also see that this stereotype is damaging because um, the first half of the film her rage is justifiable in the second half we can see how this rage entirely consumes this character until she is insane and um, it doesn't really do justice to the angry black women stereotype. However, as we've seen in this review, there are other, um, other I guess, examples of angry women, and not only black, but these are also white. Uh, we also looked at how this stereotype has been portrayed uh, throughout history and other pop culture. Um, so, in the end, I recommend acrimony. I think it is a very excellent film and to be honest as I watched it all I could think about was Shakespeare tragedies and how in the end it almost feels like there was no possible happy ending uh, for the two main uh, love interests in this film. And uh, that's my review for this week folks. Acrimony, have you seen it? What did you think? If you have watched it please leave a comment in... I have no idea where to leave comments maybe on Instagram um, and if not well who gives a crap I don't know if anyone's even listening to this um, now for today's outro music song what have I picked all right so today's outro song is testify which is the fourth single from rapper Common's 2005 2005 album B this song clocks in at just above two and a half minutes and it's produced by Kanye West, whose beat heavily, heavily uses vocal samples from Innocent Till Proven Guilty by Cone. This song is considered conscious hip-hop, and I think it is a very conscious uh, song because it does flip on the idea of the angry black women or the woman that is taken advantage of. So, take a listen to this song, and I hope you enjoy, listeners. This is Just DQ with another movie, TV, pop culture review, all-in-one. Hope you enjoy. She walked in the court, her knees buckled, saying for a man to survive, he knee hustle.
1: Seen and been through struggle a whole life, made the transition from being his whole to his wife. Stifling, the night had been the ATF busted. Her daddy was a hustler, so she loved him looked at the jury how can they judge him me she screamed there in a fight. chest her face with you tears had a man's back you he was facing years Please in her name though the place was his, they trying me to ever. take everything you except me ever. the kids you but yeah she been fights while he trying to hustle me, that white up all testify. night, wondering if he's alive, me, seeing you them you try, she bubbled me, inside, inside me, and screamed. The judge yelled for you're order, you're court, me, court me, reporter, you're making you're her word shorter. his lawyer, sat next to him she could see how the trial was affecting him it hurt for her eyes to connect with him using her lies for protecting him they arrested him for murder and gun possession as they read back her confession she screamed the bailiff emotional outburst, tears and smeared makeup it stated he was guilty on all charges she's shaking looking like she took it the hardest a spin artist she brought her face up laughing that's when the prosecutor realized what happened all that speaking of mine testifying in crime when this bitch did the crime the queen pin Just David talking about what David thinks.